giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Victoria Guido, and with me today is Dr. Stephanie Smith, clinical psychologist and founder of the Finding Center app, the first intuitive eating classes app. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. And we also have Jordan, our Director of Product Strategy at ThoughtBot. Hi, Jordan. Hello. So let's just kick this off. Dr. Smith, tell me a little bit more about your Finding Center app. So I created the Finding Center app really a little bit selfishly, you know, because I wanted to create what didn't exist for me 10 or 15 years ago when I was really struggling with food and and my body. And I'm a very by the book, you know, tell me what to do and, and I'll follow that. And there just wasn't something like that at that time of my life. And so I created the Finding Center app to give people who are struggling with their bodies and their relationship with food a way to follow a plan, a way to understand a path forward and to be able to see themselves getting through this, you know, getting to a healthier tomorrow. And, and that's what I really wanted for myself. And that's what I hope to build here. Well, I love that it came out of a personal issue you were having. And what was the gap between that type of content versus what already existed in the market? Back at that time, you know, this is probably dating all of us here a little bit, but at that time, apps were, you know, a little bit newer. Technology was, of course, you know, things are growing so quickly. Uh, And there were things like books, you know, so you could read something on your own, or you might be able to go see a therapist or a counselor, but they may not specialize, you know, in this kind of thing. And so there really was sort of this DIY, like piece things together, figure it out, try a book, try a workbook, maybe they'll go together, maybe they won't, or go see a provider and they may or may not specialize. But there really wasn't something that was going to be a direct guide for these issues. And certainly at that time, and still exists today, there's this huge lack of available things that are respectful to body diversity and size diversity. And so really looking for something that wasn't going to be further stigmatizing was and still is an extremely huge challenge in this marketplace. Great. And tell me more about, you know, we've mentioned intuitive eating and how is that different from a diet or from your regular food tracking apps? Yeah, that's such a great question. So intuitive eating is really the most old school kind of style of eating because it's what we're all born doing. You know, if you've spent any time around toddlers, you know that they'll have a couple bites of sandwich, a little bit of apple, half a cookie, and then they'll go run and play. Kids are natural intuitive eaters. And that starts to fade as we get older and we start to have this morality around food and morality around body and this pressure to change and have things different. And we kind of lose that intuitive ability to have half a cookie, you know, and go play because I'm done right now. And maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I won't. Intuitive eating really is about this recognition that that's what you were born with. That's what your birthright is. And you still have that. And it's really kind of pulling away these kind of stigmas and biases that culture puts on top of our relationships with food and our relationships with our bodies. And when we can pull that back, there's this beautiful, natural ability to eat what we want and to find a balanced way of nourishing ourselves. And and that's really what intuitive eating is about, is is getting back to that. 
I love that. And how did you go about taking what seems like, even though it's a basic, like at its most <laughs> most basic concept, but it's uh, this very big, different way of kind of conceptualizing food and boil that down into like a application? <laughs> I have to be very clear here. I did not do this on my own. So intuitive eating has been around for a long time. It was started by a couple of dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. Uh, they've recently been in the New York Times recently and in, in other places. So it's, it's becoming a little bit of a hot thing, which is great. But I had those resources, you know, so I've been following people who kind of are in this space and they are one of those people who had a book and a workbook, you know, so you weren't able to get that kind of personalized walkthrough, but these resources have existed. And, and those are some of the resources that are the ones I mentioned, you know, that I started putting together when there wasn't something like this app that existed. So it's really borrowing from them and then tying intuitive eating into body acceptance and body liberation and radical self-love, you know, tying intuitive eating in with these things with our bodies because body shame and how we treat our bodies in terms of nourishment, these are really integrated concepts. And I wanted to bring them together in a very intentional and overt kind of way. I think that's wonderful. And I'm curious, Jordan, if you have any thoughts on if you were meeting with a founder who had just built this app, what would be your first questions you would ask? Frankly, a lot of what I would ask is what you've already asked, but the sort of next thing I would focus on are questions around who are your users? How did you figure out who to bring this to first? How did you make that decision? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So when I was building this, you know, I think I mentioned that I was really building it from this place of what would I have needed at that time, you know? And so I'm really looking for people who kind of think similarly, you know, who really want structure, who want multimedia kind of support. You know, I wanted journaling activities and I wanted education and I wanted, you know, something to think about or some mindfulness. You know, I really wanted a lot of things because I learn in a lot of different ways. So I'm looking for people who like to learn that way. And I'm also the type of person that when I do something, I really want to do it. I want to dive in. I want to figure it out. You know, I, I really want to show up for it. And this is that kind of thing. And so it was pretty natural to think about the type of, you know, maybe personality who would be a great fit for this. And then in terms of who it's for, I really started with people I knew. So the first program that I ran through it, it was an intensive version of the app, which meant that there were weekend group meetings uh, with everyone. And there was live kind of Q&A and a place for us to ask questions and respond back to each other and share. Uh, and I really started with people that I knew and, and friends of friends, uh, because a lot of people, you know, I, I think if we all think about our networks, a lot of people struggle in their relationships with food and, and in their relationships with body. And so the first place I started was with the people I already knew and, and saying, you know, do you know anyone else who would be a good fit for this? Uh, and it has, you know, kind of blossomed from there. What's been one of the more unexpected things you've learned from your users as you've gotten more people into the app using it? Yeah, I think one of the things that isn't necessarily unexpected at all, but is really striking to me in terms of how impactful it is, is how much medical stigma impacts everyone, you know, and especially those who are in 
larger bodies or bodies who are marginalized for other reasons because of their health status or racial status or age or, or other factors like that. You know, as a health psychologist, I like to think of my work and my workplace as being somewhere that people can come and feel safe and feel heard and feel understood. And I now am seeing, you know, I work in a doctor's office, yet my experience of being in a doctor's office is so different from other people's experiences, you know, and the stories that I heard from others about how, you know, they went in for some kind of pain and weren't even offered physical therapy, you know, were, were offered a diet instead of that. And those kinds of stories, how many of those I've heard has been really striking and really surprising to me how how impactful that has been and how much work we really need to do to improve the experience for patients. Given that finding of the importance of safety, how has that idea informed how you've gone about designing and building the app? Of course, with a project like this, you know, I think a, a lot of founders on here have shared, you know, kind of building the airplane while you fly it. And so I've gone you know, and of course, recorded a lesson or made a journal entry activity or something like that. And then I am going back and I'm adding things to those. So I'm doing a re-recording or adding a piece or adjusting, you know, the journal prompts or the mindfulness activity, really to make some very clear statements there around, you know, if you've heard this kind of thing, you're not alone. You know, if you have experienced this type of being shamed, you know, let's really bring that out of the darkness. Let's bring it into the light because shame is something that lives in the dark. And so really wanting to help people excavate the parts of that shame that they are willing and comfortable and wanting to bring out into the light and creating a space for that has become really important for me is making sure that we're able to talk about these things and say, you know, yeah, I think my provider's a great person. I do think they care about me. And at the same time, they're living in this, you know, this weight bias and this stigma place too. And, and these are the recommendations they gave me. And that was a, a person that I thought would be safe, you know. And so really trying to have those balanced discussions around why that might happen and, and giving people a place to talk about that. Yeah. And one example I've, I've seen in, I think in your marketing materials is a measurement like the, the BMI or the body mass index. And that's one that even myself, I've experienced being used on me in a way where it's like, well, the index is saying you're overweight. And I'm like, well, clearly I'm not. (laughs) Something's wrong with this measurement. And I can't even, you probably have a greater understanding of the harm that causes in communities. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, I have looked at that myself. And I remember the very first time that someone said that, you know, like, well, you're overweight. Have you considered losing weight? And I was coming in. I think I was coming in to talk about, you know, something related to my period, something like that. Um, and I thought, why are we talking about this? What is going on? Where did this come from? I just wanted to talk about, you know, like switching my birth control. And it just comes into every conversation. And I think even someone like me, even someone who's in this space where I'm going, well, this is a bunch of crap, right? I, I think we all know at this point, like BMI is a bunch of crap. But even knowing that, there's still this part of me that, uh, and maybe you relate to this too, of just, well, I do live in this culture and you're saying these words about me like overweight. And my immediate thought, even though the one coming after that is frustration, my immediate thought is, oh no, what's wrong with my body? It's right. It's to be afraid. 
how am I going to be treated? Or does this mean something bad about my health? And so even these metrics like BMI do a terrible job at acknowledging body diversity and, and actual health and, and all of those things. They're so scary still. And I think, you know, in a body acceptance space, it's really important for us to also acknowledge that even though we want to be body accepting and be advocates for ourselves, it's still really normal when someone gives us that kind of information, especially someone in a position of power like a healthcare provider, that when someone is saying those kinds of things to us, that it can still hurt, even though we know maybe intellectually this is where that's coming from. It doesn't need to hurt. It still does. Right. And it can have uh, financial implications as well if they're indicating that you're not healthy, quote unquote, because of a statistic like that, that is meaningless. <laughs> but um, yeah, that can affect your insurance and all other kinds of things. So yeah. And I think the financial piece that you're bringing up there is such a good point, because there's so much power and control kind of dynamics that can occur around finances. You know, we really are limited <laughs> by what we can afford and not afford to do. And so people who are limited in terms of what they're able to pursue for their health will have to go along with lots of things that they may not believe in or, or may not want to follow up on because that's what their doctor is telling them is within their insurance to do. And, and that's a really hard thing. It sounds like the app gives patients or people the tools to be able to push back in some of those scenarios and also uh, you know, furthering body acceptance and, and an understanding of eating habits. What is the kind of immediate goals for your app? What does success look like in the next like six months? And then maybe what does success look like in five years from now? When you started asking that question, I almost felt like, you know, a magician or a stage performer, like putting on 18 different hats all at once. And I thought, from which of these should I respond to that question? You know, and so there's the healthcare provider inside of me going, well, as many people getting the support that they need, that's the benefit. You know, so if one person gets it, that's great. You know, I want anyone who can feel greater liberation to have that. And then that hat pops off and the marketer hat that I've been wearing kind of pops on. And it's like, well, you know, these are the metrics in terms of growth and collaboration with other people, you know, in this space that I want to do. I want to collaborate with more people who are working here and, and there's metrics around that that I want to pursue. And then the person inside of me that has to make money goes, okay, well, you know, this many sales. And so I think success is a really hard thing for me to pin down. But if I were to summarize it, trying to kind of encapsulate all of those roles, it really just is having more people experience the app, having more people experience the education there. And being able to get that feedback to make it better. You know, this is the first year of growth. And so there's going to be so much learning. I don't know yet what's going to be the next big thing that makes me go, oh my gosh, how did I not put that in there? And I'm just so excited to get to that point where I'm getting more of that feedback so that I can continue to make it better and better. I love that. And I think that it's a great place to be, right? And you have an app that has a meaning for people. And then you also have other ways to measure your success. And Jordan, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on an initial strategy to kind of meet some of the goals that Stephanie's laying out. I was actually going to go backward in time first, if you don't mind, and ask as a person 
with an application now out in the world who does not have a technical background. Could you tell us the story of how you went from this idea to those first steps of making it happen in the world? What did you do? (laughs) Where did you go? Yeah, yeah. So this is on my end anyway, kind of a wild story, though it may be typical for those of you who have been in this space. But so for me, I had this idea that I wanted to do to take the classes that I already do, because I already teach classes and I teach them live and I love to do it. It's so much fun for me. But I wanted to take those and make them accessible for more people. And I wanted to make them in such a way where people could go at their own pace, you know, kind of follow through. And so I've had this idea for, I want to say something like five years, but I just wasn't finding the right platform. You know, a lot of the online courses and things like that, I do like them, but they didn't feel as flexible as I wanted them to be. You know, for me, when I'm listening to an app and learning information, I want to be able to listen offline. I want to be able to watch it sometimes. You know, I'm really looking for a lot of flexibility and I didn't even have the thought of an app, but that's what an app gives you. You know, it gives you this ability to be flexible, to be on the go, to kind of make your learning what you want it to be. And so I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I knew that I hadn't found it. And then I saw this program that helps you build apps. I think I saw an ad for it, you know, on Instagram or on Facebook, you know, just one of those very random things. And I saw the, the ad and I went, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, I went on on the platform and and they do this thing, which I think makes a lot of sense. And they say, well, here's a 30-day free trial. Do our educational thing to learn how to build an app. And then if it's not for you, you know, cancel at the end of 30 days. No big deal. So I thought, all right, that sounds good. And what I didn't realize that they were doing, I don't know if you've heard this metaphor before, but maybe it's this, this concept that if you want to take the island, you have to burn the boats. Basically, it's this general, you know, kind of showing up on this island with the army and saying, okay, well, if we want to take the island, the best way to get my troops to, you know, be able to do that is to make it so that there's no way to go back, basically. And that is what this program did. It wound up walking me through these steps that were actually slowly burning the boats because about halfway through that free trial month, they said, okay, now we're going to post something online about this. And we're actually going to post every day for a week. And I'm just following the steps and going, wait a second, now I have to do this because now I've said I'm going to. Uh, And so it finally kind of got me out of this like hemming and hawing and I don't know what to do and very much launched me into this, okay, well, now this is happening kind of place. And so it was really interesting to see that happen to myself. <laughs> you know, I could kind of see it happening a little bit. And yeah, that that's how it happened. That's great. I love how you made sense of sort of the process from as a person going through it. The burning the boats to take the island uh, metaphor is one I've never heard before. But now I have to know what the platform was. Because <laughs> it sounds like they did a really good job of getting you to put something out there. Yeah, they they really did. The platform is called passion.io and they are actually a platform that I think targets um health and wellness influencers which as you know from talking with me or if you follow my things, you know, sometimes I have some 
some beef with some of the things that they might share. You know, we, we, we might have not the same idea about how to go about those things, but Passion.io was the platform and they have a ton of learning tools. They've got a lot of different resources on there for walking you through the initial stages of creating something. And then they also walk you through a little bit more high level things, you know, and one of the pieces that I really like about it is that underneath all of this how to is this bolstering because I think for a lot of people, certainly for myself, there's this thing, this imposter syndrome that we all have of, well, I'm not good enough or no one's going to like it or, or what if I'm embarrassed or, you know, just, just the many, many places of doubt that we have. And underneath all of the how-tos is really this space of, you've got this, you've got a good idea. If you don't try, you'll never know, you know? And, and so that's really the under kind of current of all of it. And I found that combination of this is what to do and here's why it's meaningful to you and here's why you are in the best place to do it. And, and that was really helpful. Yeah, I really love that. That's a lot of my work with early stage founders is that it is yeah. constantly saying, you know, you've got this, this is your space, you know it better than most, just because you don't know everything there is to know about starting a tech business doesn't mean you aren't qualified to engage with your customer. So like, if not you, who? And if not now, when? Is always... <laughs> kind of what I'm asking. And it sounds like this platform does a lot of that coaching. Yeah. And, you know, Jordan, I just want to comment too. I'm sure for you, if you do this a lot, you may get to points where you go, gosh, do I still need to be giving the same kind of reassurance? And I just want to say on the end of someone receiving that reassurance, yes, <laughs> we still need it. Uh, and so that work that you're able to do of just providing that consistent I'm here for you and you are here for you and we're going to do this. It's amazing to me how much I have needed that and I still need that. Uh, and I just appreciate anyone who is out there doing that because it is really, really, really hard to be that. Moment. Oh, a hundred percent. And this is hard one for me. I've, yeah. I've been a founder twice and a very early employee at other startups twice and What's amazing about that particular journey is that just when you feel like you're getting your footing at one stage, the stage changes. Yes. So, so to your point, you never stop needing that bolstering and that sort of just the coaching and the cheering on because the situation you find yourself in is constantly shifting under your feet. So yeah. 100% yeah. agree. Yes. It sounds like you you absolutely have the experience to be the person <laughs> to shepherd people through this, which thank goodness somebody's got to do it. <laughs> giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Now that you have funding, it's time to design, build, and ship the most impactful MVP that wows customers now and can scale in the future. ThoughtBot Liftoff brings you the most reliable, cross-functional team of product experts to mitigate risk and set you up for long-term success. As your trusted, experienced technical partner, we'll help launch your new product and guide you into a future-forward business that takes advantage of today's new technologies and agile best practices. Make the right decisions for tomorrow, today. Get in touch at thoughtbot.com liftoff. 
I just feel like with a lot of things, and you're, as a you know, mental health professional, you're in a better place than many to understand this. But with any big undertaking, you know, like starting a business, really just anything, training for a marathon, like you name it, some very significant percentage of the of the challenge is mental, is yourself, right? Is getting yourself into the mindset where you can keep doing it. And I feel like a lot of folks just focus on the the tactical stuff. Here's how to do this. Here's what to do, which is great. And you need those things. At least half the battle is inside of us, right? As emotional, as mental. And any amount of being able to acknowledge that and grapple with those feelings as they arise is going to just make everybody that much more effective. Mm -hmm. So, which I feel like, you know, it's great when folks are working on, on apps where that's built into the mission like yours is. Because it's it's like you can't lose sight of that. It's it's actually your life's work. Yeah, you know, and it's this is going to be such a psychologist comment, so forgive me for a minute. But it's such an interesting thing that you're pointing out because what we're really talking about, from my perspective, is this place on the graph where vulnerability meets your highest ability to perform. And so I think for a lot of industries, not just mine. It's that crossroads where I'm at optimum vulnerability to really be able to connect. Because when we're not vulnerable, right, if I keep myself too safe, then I'm not going to be able to position myself in a place to reach the most people or produce something that's going to be the most meaningful. And so I have to be willing to say, this is going to be really scary. This is going to really suck for me sometimes and I'm going to get it wrong. And it's still worth it to do that because of this meaning that I'm wanting to do. And I don't think all times in someone's life is the time to do that. You know, this happens to be the time for me, which is wonderful uh, and scary and hard and terrible <laughs> and all of the rest. But it's, I think, just being conscious that there is a necessary amount of vulnerability to achieve the potential with something like this that you want to achieve and acknowledging, I am just going to be sitting in a lot of hard, and that means I'm doing it right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's sort of a, without meeting a challenge, we don't achieve. But to your point, it's that right mix of challenge and vulnerability. You don't want either of those things getting too out of balance. That is kind of the art of this journey, but 100% agree. Yeah. I was thinking just earlier today about stress because this is stressful, you know, it's it's so difficult to do. And I was talking to a friend the other day and, and I was saying, yeah, you know, I've just been stressed with all of these things that I was doing. And this person said, you know, well, if you tried blah, 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 thing that will take the stress away, <laughs> substance you could use to take the stress away. And I said, you know, I haven't thought about that. And I guess I could, but I thought in my mind how quickly we went from talking about the particular things that I was dealing with that were causing stress to trying to fix for stress and how much that's a part of our culture. And I thought, you know, the level of stress that I'm having is appropriate to the situation. I don't actually want to dull that level of stress because I need it in the same way that a car might benefit from a backup camera. You know, when it starts to beep louder, I want to hear that because that's letting me know I'm heading for a crash, you know, and and I want to be conscious of that. So certainly as a mental health provider, I think that's one of the things that's helping me move through is just that sensitivity to 
there's a certain level of stress and a certain utility to stress. That's important when you're building something because you're also needing to maintain yourself as a person and you've got to monitor that pretty closely. You're still in private practice. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've got, and I think you alluded to this earlier, a lot of hats that you're wearing. <laughs> yes. How has it gone balancing the launch of this app with the rest of the work that you're doing? Oh, well, it's been a lot, you know. So I am a private practice psychologist. I also have a nine to five. I work in a hospital as a health psychologist and, you know, building the app and and doing all of those things. And I think the biggest thing that's been important for me to be able to remind myself again and again and again and again is just if it stops being what I want to do, even just in a moment, don't do it. Do the next thing because for me in this space, as much as I might say, you know, I burned the boats and, and that is motivating for me to get through particular things, I also have to recognize that just like my body will tell me what I need with food, my body is going to let me know when I've had too much for the day or when I've been doing too much of one thing and I need to go for a walk or I need to just go the heck to sleep or, or I need to do whatever, you know, I need to do a different project, right? Toss the marketing down and take a look at some of my patient notes or, or whatever. For me, because I love all of what I do, everything is important to me. I think I get something from all of it. And that is important to me too. You know, not every day is roses, right? There are days where I just want to say, screw all of it. I'm moving to Tahiti or, or whatever, right? Whatever the fantasy is. But honestly, when it comes down to it, I do it because I love it. These things are meaningful to me and being able to share in the world in all of the myriad ways that I do that, I get a lot of meaning from that. And I would start to become concerned about that for myself if I stopped getting something back. And I think this is basically how we feel in anything that we invest in, whether I'm investing time or love or money or whatever. We invest because we also get back. And when that stops happening, that's the time when I reevaluate. And so far, that hasn't happened yet. So far, I've been able to kind of pivot and and stay conscious of where I'm at and switch from one thing that I love to something else that I love. And then I find when I do that, I I do always want to go back. That's the benefit of wearing multiple hats, right? You can pick one up and put on a different one if you're matching your energy levels. They say one of the quotes that I've always related to, for better or for worse, is if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy. And I think that's true for me. You know, I'm one of those people where I like a level of busy. I thrive on that. I enjoy it. And it's just staying conscious of the balance. I think that's great. And and we talk to founders about that a lot, actually, about how to like balance their time. And it's interesting to hear from a a psychologist perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been an interesting thing going through this as a psychologist, because when I do say things like, well, yeah, I've been stressed, people say, what? But you're a psychologist. You're not supposed to feel stressed. And I always think this is hilarious because I go, what the heck do you think psychologists are? You know, stress is a normal part of life. I'm going to be stressed and ticked off and irritable and, and all of the things just like everyone else. I am very fortunate to have additional skills for how to manage it when those feelings come up, uh, which I'm extremely, extremely grateful for. But being stressed or upset or sad or or any of the range of unpleasant but completely normal human emotions, we all feel those too. You know, those are just as natural for us. 
Right. Like I never thought the goal of psychology was to never be stressed. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just to become increasingly uh, better able to manage it. That makes sense. With your approach to your app, are there experiments that you're designing in the app to see like what your clients relate to more or how are you building that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I am kind of balancing right now is that there's this space with intuitive eating, you know, it really covers nourishing yourself. And a lot of that is around food, but our relationships with how we nourish ourselves and how we relate to our bodies also impacts how we move our bodies or not, how we are intimate with our bodies or not, how we are in much, much broader spaces in the world. There's a quote that says something like, it's not about food, but food is sort of the stage where we enact what we're going through, you know, kind of where we enact the deeper things going on for us. And so for me, really what I'm experimenting with and balancing is how much do we want to focus completely on food stuff and how much do we also want to recognize that food is going to also dovetail into movement and also dovetail into mental health and also dovetail into how you manage stress at the end of the day and also dovetail into the intimacy that you have in relationships and the pleasure that you allow yourself or not or that you think that you deserve. So I think really what I'm doing now and probably what I'll be doing forever with it is finding the right balance of those things and making sure to be respectful of all that's impacted by someone when we talk about just their relationship with food and their bodies. We're talking about their whole lives and really wanting to be able to go deeply with that and not keep it just on the surface. That makes sense. And uh, an interesting thing to try to measure and experiment out within an application, right? Mm -hmm. So one aspect of the app and, and probably the most meaningful one is the courses. And there's another aspect of the app, which is a subscription. And so that's weekly lessons that are similar, you know, to the courses and that they're journaling and a lesson and, and mindfulness and, and, you know, different components to them. But rather than being step by step by step, like the courses, they are kind of on different topics each week. And so that's really been a space for me to experiment with some of that and to see what people are into and what really resonates with folks. And also, of course, to use places like social media, you know, use, use Instagram and I'll do a reel on this topic and a reel on this topic, you know, and, and see how that goes or, or a visual or, or whatever. And I think it's really been an interesting process within the app and also where in the other places where I'm able to advertise for it, like on social media, just to see what's meaningful for people. You know, so much of this process is finding your people and creating things that are meaningful for them. And and I'm still learning how to do that. I think that's great. And I love to hear you're experimenting on like a weekly basis. So with like what content really resonates with people. Um, I'm wondering, Jordan, if you have any advice or, or tips for how to find your market, how to find your people. Well, in this scenario, since you're, you've got folks using the app already, it's great because you basically have leads, trails to follow, breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. to, <laughs> to chase down. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how many users you have already and you don't have to tell us if you don't want to, <laughs> but um, I would basically sort of look at the patterns of their usage and find those folks who are really using the app in the way you feel it is most useful and follow up with them. 
who are they? Interview them if you can. But Mm. if you can find out things about them anyway, sort of zero in on those folks as a specific sort of niche. Mm-hmm. and see if you can get as many people who look like them. And that that could be defined in any way. It really depends on the characteristics of the folks themselves. And it could be geographic. It could be some component of their identity. could be, you know, anything. But basically, those folks who are really getting the most out of your, your app and the ways that you are sort of locating value for them, really double down on those folks. Can you find more people like that? Can you find out more? about how they're using the app, why it's resonating. That's what I would be doing right now. And it's possible that's what you're doing. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm kind of curious about how to do that, you know, because anything you ask of people is one more thing, you know? And I, I think the truth for a lot of us is that we have a lot of things, you know? And so I have a hesitancy in saying, well, do I send a survey that someone has to fill out? Do I try to take some of their time, you know, over the phone or ask for an email? Because of course, anything, you know, and anything that takes time is something someone needs to put into their lives. And as willing as I think people are to be helpful, and and certainly I'm very fortunate to be around just incredible people, there's a limit to that, you know, you don't want to be asking for too much. And so I would be curious, you know, from your perspective, Jordan, if you think there's a right way to do that, you know, if there's a a way that you think is kind of the right way or a way (laughs) to try to strike that balance. Yeah, definitely. And that dynamic is is something you've got to be sensitive to. People are busy and you are asking them for something. But at this very early stage, that's kind of the beauty of this stage of the work is that it's an opportunity to really build with people, to invite them into the process so that they feel like they're co-creating something with you. And that's why focusing on those um, users who who appear to be getting the most out of the app is like the best place to go Mm -hmm. because they're going to be the most likely to want, if they're getting something out of it, they probably are pretty excited about that, right? Mm -hmm. They're probably going to be excited to talk to you about it, et cetera. But that said, you should do something to compensate. And I don't mean that necessarily with money, but compensate them for their time and their Mm -hmm. effort. But in a mission-driven context like yours, it's really a great opportunity to kind of bring the community along with you. Mm -hmm. These folks are your your first champions. You'll be surprised, in my experience, the people who are the most sort of impassioned about what you're doing and are benefiting from it the most are more than excited to help you know, and it, the channels, how you make this ask, it just totally depends on the details of these folks and mm-hmm. how they prefer to communicate. So mm-hmm. with regard to the question around a survey versus getting people to talk on the phone, it's a little bit of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Send out a survey, see if people respond. Putting a survey in the app is great, um, especially if it's just one question or two questions right after some key interaction. So maybe they've done today's lesson or this week's lesson or this week's activity. Mm-hmm. And right afterward, you know, asking them one question about how they're finding the app. And then, you know, if they engage with that, then the follow up can be, hey, thank you so much for giving me that feedback. If you're willing, I'd love to chat for 20 minutes with you about this. I really want to be creating this with my customers and my users. So no big deal if you don't have time, I get it, but it would be really valuable. And you'll be surprised. I think how many people are more than excited because they really do feel it's a signal to them that you care deeply Mm -hmm. about their experience. 
and that you really are trying to make that experience the best thing for them. It's sort of unintuitive, right? It feels like you're asking them to give you something, mm -hmm. but what you're giving them is you're like leaning in mm -hmm. to co-creating with them. Yeah. Jordan, I love that. I think that's such a great idea. And from a mental health perspective, it's so authentic too, because of course you want to offer people the opportunity to share, you know, share about what they've learned and, and to be able to process it out loud. And, and you're right. That will, um, be helpful to me, but it is also a service, you know, that's not dissimilar to what sometimes people come to therapy for, you know, is, is to just be able to process their experience out loud and be heard and some of those things for themselves. So I, Jordan, I think that's such a great approach to that. And, and I really appreciate that. That's great. Absolutely. And I would, I would only add that it's another signal who ends up responding positively to that is another signal for you on who your best collaborators are mm -hmm. in the app. I mean, you can look at how they're using it to answer that question, but mm -hmm. it's another signal to you like, ah, these are the folks who are really finding this useful. They're finding it so useful that they want to talk to me about it. And that will then additionally help you double down on those folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious for you, Jordan, and I'm curious about how to reach kind of a broader audience. So certainly I know people and people who know me are much more comfortable reaching out to use the app or, or to be part of things, you know, because they know me and, and trust that it's going to be good. But expanding that to people that I don't know, or that aren't, you know, like a, a through somebody, you know, through a direct connection, that part is more challenging, of course, because how would they know to trust me, especially when they've been around providers, as we were talking about, where, where sometimes that trust can be broken in some of these very vulnerable areas. I've been experimenting with some things like creating an Instagram and, and things like that because I wanted to create a space for people to see what is this person all about? You know, what is this messaging? But I'm curious if there's other ways that you would recommend to reach people who don't know me, you know, who would be then willing to take a chance on something like a course, which is, you know, often a kind of a high ticket, high investment type of thing. Yeah. Well, there are myriad ways to do that too, that come to mind are the kind of sort of define the ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. One of them is along the lines of, of what you're doing with Instagram, basically advertise, do a Google ad, do an ad on Instagram you're going to capture a certain segment of people who are maybe not as focused on relationship-based referrals who maybe are suffering in isolation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not talking to anyone about this. So that's like sort of one end. But the other, I would say, is reaching out to fellow clinicians who you have a good relationship with and saying, hey, is this something you'd be willing to recommend to your patients or the folks you work with? If not, why not? Basically activate your professional network in terms of like, you know, adding this as another resource that they recommend to folks, mm -hmm. because then you're kind of multiplying that people, you know, effect and that that can be very powerful. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing too, you know, because as you were talking, I started noticing in my own mind that little piece that we were talking about before of this kind of like, ah, oh, well, I don't want to burden anyone. You know, I don't want to give them one more thing to do. And I thought, well, I love resources for my patients. That's only to the good. You know, I love having those things. And so it was so interesting 
just to kind of observe that kind of process happening in real time in my mind of this little bit of doubt that makes me go, oh, that makes me nervous, you know, and then having to dig down to what you're actually telling me is <laughs> this is value added. And a hundred percent. And I'm glad that you noticed that and brought it up because I think this is especially for underrepresented founders. So women, people of color, mm-hmm. so much self-doubt, yeah. right? And that hurdle is sometimes the biggest hurdle. And what I did, this is funny. This is like fairly tactical. But what, you know, in, when I was a founder, I made a document that was basically a reminder to myself. I would look at it before almost every call I had with anybody about what I was working on. But it was basically a, hey, Jordan, why are you doing this? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like, why does this thing need to exist? Mm-hmm. Why am I the right person to be making it? Yeah. It's sort of a, a series of those things. And just to remind myself every time that what I was doing was valuable Mm -hmm. and that I'm not out there trying to get people to do something for me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get them to do something for themselves. I'm taking a problem they're already trying to solve for themselves and just giving them another tool. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if they don't want to pick it up right now, that's fine. It might not be the right time, but reaching out to other practitioners and saying, Hey, I have this tool. And the tool was developed out of a lot of the same things I'm imagining all of you are experiencing in your practices. A significant number of them are going to be like, oh, great. Just what you said. A great, another tool. I can add this one. And maybe it won't be right for every one of my patients, Mm -hmm. but it might be right for some of them. And just getting around that in your heart of like, you're not asking them for something. You're you're giving them another resource. And in fact, not doing that sells yourself short, sells them short, Mm -hmm. frankly. You're not making this for you. This isn't merely about satisfying your own ego. I'm sure there's a little bit of that in there. (laughs) There always is. But like, for the most part, you're trying to help people. And by not telling them about what you're doing or, you know, offering it to them as a resource, it sort of defeats the purpose. Yeah, it's such an important reframe. And like we're talking about before, you know, it's one of those things that I think just needs to be on loop, you know, in the heads for founders and and probably some version of this on on loop for all of us, you know, just as we're going through life, kind of reminding ourselves, my presence is not a burden. <laughs> you know, it reminds me a little bit of what Sonia Renee Taylor kind of started with, the body is not an apology. You know, and I, I think this is basically kind of going off of that topic. You know, I'm not a burden. Absolutely. And I love that frame. Yeah, you're doing this for a reason. Yeah. You're not a burden. Your mm-hmm. app that is out there helping people, not a burden. Right. Quite the opposite. Right. right. It's amazing how important <laughs> that reminder is. Yeah, I, I love that. And Jordan, you also have our incubator program coming up soon for other founders. Do you want to mention that real quick? Of course, I would love to. ThoughtBot has a new incubator program um, launching this year. We have our first run of it starting in mid-March. Who this is for is non-technical founding teams. So you might be a solo person, you might have a team, but you don't, you haven't found that technical co-founder or partner yet, but your business idea involves building an app or building software of some kind. And basically you're at the early stages. You haven't launched anything. You've identified the opportunity. Maybe you've talked to a bunch of your potential users or customers, but you're not sure if there's a there there and what to do about it. That's the ideal sort of stage and persona. And 
The program is really about helping those um, non-technical founding teams validate the market opportunity, do some experiments with product, basically build a couple of features, maybe you know a landing page that expresses the value proposition, et cetera, just to learn as much as they can about what the opportunity is and how they might need it with software, get them used to working with a technical team, and then help them with their planning for next steps. Maybe that's raising capital, or maybe it is finding a technical co-founder. We can help with that. That's the idea. It's an eight-week program. Everybody who sees themselves in what I just said (laughs) should apply and the URL to apply is thoughtbot.com slash incubator. Great. Thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you for all your, your advice and your questions that you brought to the episode today. And Stephanie, is there any final takeaways you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, no, I, I just think this was such an excellent opportunity. I feel like I learned a lot from it. And I want to thank you both so much for taking the time. It's really been a pleasure. Wonderful. All right. Yes. Thank you both so much for joining me today. And for our listeners, you can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Victorious G. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thank you for listening. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at thoughtbot.com.